Scripture. Our first reading is going to be taken uh, from a number of verses in the book of Acts, chapter 6 and 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose among the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenaeus, and Nicholas, the proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those of Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. And Stephen said, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. When they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of, young, of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading today comes from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2, beginning at verse 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Be to 
Please rise for the reading of the gospel. Our gospel today is taken from St. John, the 14th chapter, beginning at verse 1. Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is the Gospel of our Lord. You may be seated, and we like to invite the children to come forward at this time for today. And grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today that we're going to be meditating upon in this sermon is from John uh, chapter 14. Let's go ahead and begin today with a word of prayer. Almighty Father, we give you thanks that you have not only made a way for us to come to heaven, but you have given us the way, Jesus Christ, who carries us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. We pray this day, O Lord, that as we meditate upon your word in this world of uncertainty, you would give us hope and confidence in Jesus our Savior. It's in his name we pray that you would grant us the Holy Spirit, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you heard the news uh, this past week, uh, but the World Health Organization has come out and said COVID is officially over. Which is, which is wonderful news. Uh, you should be happy about that. Everyone's like, we know. Um, yeah, so COVID is officially over. But this week, we've been thinking, actually, in the church, Pastor Matt and I have been thinking a lot about that time period, that, that time period where, where COVID impacted our world. And we've been thinking about the impact it had on our church, our resident church historians, uh, Donna Hinky and Pastor Vogel saying, I've asked Pastor Matt and I to work through some questions, and we're going to do a video, I think, uh, this week, we're going to do a video interview talking a little bit about what was it like? What went on? What were the events? How did you process through all of these things? And so to get ready for this, uh, Pastor Matt and I met this week in my office, and, and what we did was we started to work through the history, looked up the dates, when did we do this, when did we make that decision? Uh, we watched the video announcements that we made, and this was odd. I've got to tell you, I was not prepared at... Uh, the emotional toll that afternoon was going to take on me. Um, it, it put me back in a place that I just, it was, I kind of had blocked out, but this, this place where I had forgotten how literally uncertain we were of everything. 
So if you watch the first video announcement where we say we're going to cancel church for the first time, we're canceling the gathering together, I should say, uh, at the first time, we say, so we're not going to have church this Sunday, but don't worry, we're pretty sure we'll be back together within the next two weeks. <laughs> uh, that didn't happen. Uh, I don't know if you remember that. Then we watched the announcement we made for Holy Week where we're like, we're not going to be able to do Holy Week services together, but don't worry. This summer, when we get back together, we're going to redo Holy Week. We didn't do that either. And what was really sort of emotionally trying was, was remembering the, the position of uncertainty. We didn't know what was going to happen next. And for like a year and a half, we never knew what was coming next. And it's, it's a strange place to be when you're uncertain about the future. And now, being able to look back, we just kind of shake our heads and laugh, and we're like, man, we had no idea what was going on. I sometimes wonder, as I, I read the gospel here today, after doing this meeting with Pastor Matt, sort of working through the text for our sermon this morning, I sometimes wonder if that's not a feeling the apostles had when they looked back on the ministry of Jesus. Specifically, for our purposes today, our friend Thomas. Thomas, who is famously known as, as Doubting Thomas. I wonder if there were times where Thomas didn't look back on the ministry of Jesus and just shake his head and go, man, I had no idea <laughs> what was going on. I like to picture in my head like an actual conversation with Thomas and, and John, John the author of the gospel that we heard this morning. And I like to think like John is sitting down to interview Thomas. So, so picture with me, if you will. Uh, this interview session where John is talking with Thomas, and John says to him, all right, Thomas, I'm, I'm writing down everything Jesus did here. Why don't you tell me what you remember about the night when Jesus was betrayed, that, that Passover night? You're going to see Thomas kind of sit back and go, oh, man, John, you remember that? That night was, that was crazy. Like, there we were, and, and, and Jesus had just washed our feet, and we didn't understand why, and then he gave us the bread and wine for the Passover, telling us it was the body and the blood, and then he told us we were all going to betray him. And we're like, we're not going to betray you. What are you talking about? And then, remember, John, he said this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, what if I told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. And then Thomas looks at John and he says, you know, I mean, then I had to put my foot in my mouth like I do constantly, and I just started to say what we were all thinking. I looked at Jesus and I said, where you are going, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? I wonder if Thomas doesn't look back on what he said there and just shook his head and he's like, I had no idea what was coming next. Which is an interesting thing to think. That they didn't have any idea, these disciples, what was coming next. Because you know they should have. If you go back and read through the Gospel accounts, you will see that Jesus told them in like no uncertain terms, multiple times, we're going to Jerusalem, and guess what's going to happen when we get there? I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. I'm going to be uh, prosecuted by the religious leaders. I'm going to be abused and crucified. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And every time Jesus told this to the disciples, they got more and more confused. They got more and more baffled. They didn't know what he was talking about. So that evening, when Jesus is saying all of this to them, they should have understood. They should have got it. But Thomas demonstrates to us that he has no idea what was coming next. He and the other disciples were uncertain 
about the future. And yet, even though they were uncertain about what was coming next, their confusion and uncertainty, their inability to get it, didn't stop Jesus from accomplishing His saving purposes for them. And I think that because of that, this is a very helpful text for us today. This is a good text and a good thing for us to be thinking about right now, especially as we live in a world that is just so filled with uncertainty. Uncertainty and fear play on our emotions all the time. Uncertainty and fear are good business. They cause you to spend money on things you otherwise would not buy. We live in a world that constantly plays with this. I mean, think about this. Next year is an election cycle. Yes, uh, next year, uh, we're going to be going into this whole election cycle. And as we do, what will you hear? You will hear everyone play on your fears that if this candidate or that candidate, if one of them gets elected, you know what this means. It is the end of the American Republic as we know it. So you'd better not vote for that one, or, or maybe it's that one, or maybe it's both of them. We're all just going to die. I mean, this is the language, the rhetoric that's going to come up. If you live in my world and you're always reading about uh, the future of the church in America, it's always dire. There's always this language that we are, you know, if the stats keep going the way that they do, we're literally two generations away from having no church in America. That's the sort of thing that keeps me up at night. It is something that plays on my fears. We, we need to think about those things. Or think about even like with COVID. When we were in this time of COVID, nobody knew what was happening. We were always in this place of uncertainty. But when, when COVID started to, you know, not, not die out, but kind of fade away, what did the news media realize? They realized pandemics are really good for ratings. And so the immediate stories that you saw after COVID kind of started to dissipate and it wasn't getting the ratings anymore, what did they start doing? They started looking for the next pandemic, the next disease, the next thing we all need to be frightened of. Why? Because if they can keep us frightened, they can keep us coming back. But there's a real poison with this fear mentality. Because what fear does is it overcomes uh, our, our eyesight. It, it, it dominates the way we think. And suddenly, we become afraid of everything and everyone around us. And fear is the opposite of faith teaches us to stop looking at God and trusting his word, and it produces the opposite of love. Fear produces hatred and bitterness. We cease to love our neighbor who disagrees with us on this or that point, and instead we see them only as someone to either correct or conquer, because we're afraid if their ideas get out, we're all in a great deal of trouble. Fear is the opposite of love and of faith. It's unbelief that breeds lovelessness. Faith, however, trusts God in all things. Faith looks to God in the midst of troubles and trials, looks to something that is certain, and it clings to a word and a promise that God makes to us and says that no matter what may come next, I'm going to be able to face it because I'm facing it with the one who has conquered sin, death, and the devil for my sake. And then it allows me to love my neighbor in freedom without being afraid of them. We'll get there in a second. But I want us to think a little bit about how this word of God, this, these, these words that Christ speaks to us, his promises, actually give us faith and confidence in a world that's trying to play on our uncertainties and our fear. So let's go back to my, my pretend interview scenario between Thomas and John. 
So there they are sitting, and, and Thomas has just said, yeah, and I remember when I said, we don't know where you're going, Jesus. And so, so John says to him, all right, so, so you said to him, you don't know the way to where he is going. What happened next? And I just picture Thomas and John look at each other, and they get a little gleam in their eye and a little grin on their face, and, and John, or Thomas says, oh, next was great. Next, Jesus heard my words, and he started to play with them a little bit. I said, I don't know the way you're going. And Jesus said, well, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known the Father. And from now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Thomas is thinking, you know, John, we had no idea what Jesus was saying in that moment. And you remember, John, just how frightening everything was after that? I mean, it seemed like everything was falling apart. We went out to the garden, and Jesus was was betrayed by Judas, and then he was was arrested, and and then they put him on trial, and we all fled because we were terrified that we were next. Then they put him on the cross, and we thought that was really it. He was buried in a tomb, and he was done. It was all so terrifying. We didn't know what was coming next. But Jesus did. And he was in control the whole time. And he knew that everything he was doing, everything he was going through on that weekend, he was accomplishing for us. The reason the disciples fled on the night of Jesus' betrayal is because I think they took their ears and their eyes off of Christ and his word. Instead, they looked at their circumstances. They looked at the fearful things around them. Then this was so overwhelming and so dominating that they thought there's nothing that could be bigger than this. And they were frightened and they fled from what was going on. In fear, they closed their ears to Christ's promises. But Christ's word did not let them go. Christ's word held them fast. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. If I go prepare a place for you, he says, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. If you get lost in the maze, this is, the children's message sometimes ties into the sermon. This works out very nicely. Uh, if you get lost in the maze and you think you're left for dead, I'm not leaving you for dead. I'm coming back to find you. I'm coming back to take you to be with me forever. Jesus was saying that on that weekend, when the disciples were so uncertain about what was coming next, Jesus is saying, this dying and this rising that I'm about to undergo, I'm doing it so that you have a place ready for you in heaven before the Father forever. There is one, the Scriptures tell us, that we should be afraid of. And it's not the world around us, and it's not the scary political systems, and it's not the diseases. There is something we should be afraid of. It's the Father. It's God, Jesus says, who can cause both our body and our soul to suffer in hell. And Jesus says that might be the one you should be afraid of, the judge of sinners. But he says, I'm going to the cross to be judged for those sinners. I'm going to the cross to reconcile you to the Father by the shedding of my own blood. Jesus, this Lord of heaven and earth, is about to undergo a dying and a rising for the forgiveness of sins, for life and salvation. Which means that the God who is over all of creation, the God who is in control of everything, the God who made heaven and earth, is for the disciples. He is on their side. Because he has accomplished all of this for their life and their salvation. And not just for the disciples on that particular day. This God is for you. Because this dying and this rising was carried out on your behalf. He who is Lord 
over heaven and earth watches over you. The one who has suffered and died for you, who rose again for you out of love for you, has done so that you would have an eternal home with Him before God your Father. And if He's done all of this for you, if God is for you in this way, who could be against you in any way that is substantial? I mean, what's the worst that they could do to you in this world? Kill you? Ha, all right. That just gets me to the Father sooner, you see. Are you going to face suffering and hardship in this world? Yeah, probably. Jesus says in this world, you will have trouble. You will face things. I mean, this is the reality. That just because Jesus makes these promises doesn't mean we're going to not face difficulty. We heard that reading from, that longer reading from the book of Acts this morning with Stephen. Stephen confessed Jesus, and he suffered for it. But did God abandon him in this? No, Jesus is, is suffering for his faith. Or Stephen, I should say, is suffering for his faith, and he looks up, and suddenly he sees Jesus there with him because Jesus is always with us. And what his promises mean for us today is that not that your problems are going to go away, not that you won't face disease or trial or hardship or difficulty in this world. Of course we're going to face these things. But we don't face these things alone. We face these things with the one who has overcome the world for our sakes. We face these things with Jesus Christ who has died and risen for us and for our salvation so that whether we live or we die or whatever we have to go through in this world, we belong to the Lord who will never leave you, who will never forsake you, who will never back you off of you. You have nothing to fear because Christ has given you the opposite of fear. He's given you something to believe. That He's prepared a place for you with His Father forever because of His dying and His rising. And notice then how having Jesus like this, or better said, Jesus having us like this, allows us to face the days ahead in an entirely different way. We don't live as reactors, constantly reacting to everything we see around us. Instead, what happens is we become people of prayer. We now know, and this is what Jesus says at the end of our reading today, that whatever we ask in his name, the Father's listening, and he will give to us. And this isn't a genie in the bottle kind of thing, but it's just a reminder that we call upon him in the day of trouble, as the psalmist says, and he will deliver us. We know that we have a God who is on our side so that whenever we're facing difficulty or trial, we can go to him in prayer, and he is not only listening, he is happy we're there. And he's glad to listen to our prayer. And so we can trust him in the face of the trials around us. But also, this teaches us to love our neighbor in the midst of the trials around us. It drives us not to look at those people around us as enemies who must be conquered, but fellow sinners who, just like us, need repentance, mercy, kindness, love, forgiveness of sins. Perhaps the people that we seem to set ourselves against all the time uh, seem to be so much against us because they, just like us at times, don't know all that Jesus Christ has done for them. They're living in fear and uncertainty because maybe they don't know the one person who gives us certainty and confidence in this world of sin. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So it's our job in the midst of this world of uncertainty and fearfulness to bring forth the one thing that is certain. The salvation of Jesus Christ for us. The righteous one who loves us with an everlasting love. So that no matter what we face in the days ahead, we face them 
dwelling securely in the palm of His nail-pierced hand, from which He will never let us go. He will never let you go. This last week, as I, as I looked back on how things went at CLC during COVID, I shook my head a lot and I laughed. And I saw myself say things that I would not probably say next time, but it's always nice to have 20-20 vision and look back and be like, oh, I'm, I, I, okay, I look back, I thought, we, I did it perfect. We got everything right. Of course we didn't have that, right? You look back, there's things you would do different, there's things you would change, there's ways you wouldn't have reacted. But I will tell you this, there are two things that I saw that really were, were just sort of joyful. First was this, that because we have Christ and because Christ has us, it was remarkable to watch the way our congregation worked during that time. All of us were uncertain. All of us were facing difficulties at that moment. And so what did we do? Did we all sit down and say, okay, we all agree on exactly what needs to take place? No, we did better than that. We said, we're going to love one another. We're going to care for each other. We're going to support each other. We're going to put together a fund that's going to take care of people who are financially burdened because of their job situation. We're going to set up meals for people who cannot get out of their homes and start buying groceries for them. I mean, that first two weeks, we were inundated with phone calls from people. We had, we had more people calling to say, we want to take groceries to people than people saying we need groceries, right? Like, this is, this is a wonderful thing to see. And because of this, we can recognize something. That's what we call the fruit of the Spirit. That was the care that you see in our Hear, Learn, Care in this congregation. That was the, the fruit of the Spirit, the care. Because throughout that whole time, Jesus remained true to his promises to us. He never left us. He never forsook us. He continued to put his promises in our ears and in our hearts, which produced love with our hands. See, Christ, no matter what you're facing this week, no matter what's coming down in the days ahead, you face them with Jesus. He holds you in the palm of his nail-pierced hand and he will never leave you and never forsake you. So hear his promises to you today. Let not your hearts be troubled. I have given you everlasting life. The promise of my forgiveness. The promise of my presence and my love with you forever. And those promises, says Jesus, are going to carry you all the way into everlasting life. And from there, you and I, I think, when we get to that everlasting life day, I think you and I will sit down and we'll look back and we'll just shake our heads and laugh as we dwell on his joyful presence forever. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we face a lot of things in this world that give us fear. We face a lot of things that make us uncertain. Uncertain about anything, sometimes even uncertain of your love. But Lord, you never back off of your promises. You always remain true to what you have said. And you have promised to never leave us nor to forsake us. And so on this day, Lord, we pray that you would comfort us with your presence. You would touch, uh, teach us always to cling to Jesus in faith. But Lord, even when our faith wavers, we pray that your promises never go away. We thank you for your faithfulness. It's in your name we pray, O oh Lord. Amen. It's time we invite you to please rise as we sing Have Thy